John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly, and my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 86 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Since last we spoke, wow, uh, so much has happened. Uh, and the last episode occurred moments after, literally moments after, Mitt Romney announced his very courageous choice to vote guilty on one of the two articles of impeachment against Donald Trump. If you haven't yet checked out episode number 85, I urge you to do so uh, because it goes deeply into the entire uh, Romney decision and why I think that was so very, very important. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, Romney uh, shortly, but after we taped episode number 85, the final impeachment vote was cast and it was 5248 for acquittal on abuse of power and it was 5347 for acquittal on obstruction of congress because romney decided which i did not fully understand at the time when we did the taping because i mean we taped just literally minutes after romney announced his decision and either i missed it or it was unclear to me that he had decided to vote to acquit on the uh, obstruction of congress which i kind of understood and in a weird way, it actually gave more credibility to his vote to convict on the abuse of power because, obviously, uh, he wasn't dead set on convicting Trump no matter what. In fact, it was actually the opposite. So in a logical world, which we don't live in a logical world anymore, uh, the vote to acquit on obstruction of Congress actually should have strengthened 
the credibility of the vote to convict on abuse of power. But I did say something in episode number 85, which I think was particularly accurate, which was one of the significant aspects of Romney's vote is that it really allowed, if not forced, the two Democrats who were still on the fence at that time, uh, one from West Virginia and one from Arizona, to vote to convict on both articles of impeachment. He provided them cover. I talk a lot about cover on this uh, podcast and how the death of John McCain was critical in not allowing there to be cover for other Republicans like Mitt Romney who might be inclined to vote to convict Donald Trump. Because I'm convinced that John McCain would have been the first one and he would have been outspoken about it. And that would have made it far easier for Mitt Romney. And then once you get Romney and McCain, by the way, the last two Republican presidential nominees before Donald Trump, then you could theoretically get a couple more people. And then it starts to grow. But because McCain died and the incredible luck that uh, Donald Trump continues to have. With me, it's just works. You know, it's magic. Uh, well, that never happened. And uh, I was surprised mildly. I, I wrote a column before the impeachment trial began, an open letter to Mitt Romney pleading with him to strongly to consider voting to convict because of the symbolic importance of it. And I do believe that that view was certainly vindicated, by the way, in rewatching Romney's speech. And I am not in any way, shape or form taking any uh, credit. I think this is purely coincidental. But if you read that column and you read the text of Romney's speech, a large part of it is almost word for word, not quite word for word, but certainly uh, concept by concept. It's that was his reasoning. I mean, he the reasoning he used was almost exactly uh, what I wrote in my open letter to him just before the impeachment trial technically began in the U.S. Senate, the sham trial. And so it was symbolically important uh, from the standpoint of a prominent Republican voting to convict. It was also important that no Democrats voted to acquit. And so technically it was a bipartisan vote to convict and only a partisan vote to acquit. And that was going to drive Trump crazy, and it absolutely has, and we'll get to all that. But I just want to, before we leave Romney, because I do think it was so significant on many, many levels, I want to play for you part of the speech. We didn't play any clips in the last episode because we just frankly did not have time because of the scheduling of the taping. Now, there, there are two major components, maybe three, of Romney's speech. There's the emotional part where he gets choked up talking about his oath to God and how seriously he takes his oath to God. And that doesn't really translate that well to audio because you have to see it because all it is is really silence. So I want to play the, the more substantive part. And the most significant element to me is how hard Romney tried to acquit. You know, the, 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 the right-wing media, the, the cult 45 media, the former conservative media, is desperate for a narrative that makes a goddamn bit of sense about why Mitt Romney did this. I mean, I've heard all sorts of crazy theories. You know, he wants to run for president again, or he, he just hates Donald Trump so much. This is not a man of hate, okay? This, this is not a man. This is a very good man. There's nobody that knows Mitt Romney who says he's a bad person. And if you don't believe that he's sincere in his faith, then I'm sorry I can't help you because you're just a moron and you don't understand the way human beings work. 
but this is a this is a good person, flawed like all the rest of us. But this is a man who truly does believe in his faith and was doing what he thought was the right thing. And this part of the speech goes into really, to me, and this even convinced my my wife who likes Romney. I've used her often as the one person focus group because she kind of likes Donald Trump. But she she sided with Romney here because. To her, not only was he sincere, but also because it was so obvious he was going out of his way, bending over backwards to find a way to acquit. He even reached out to the White House and essentially pleaded, saying, please, please give me an affidavit from John Bolton raising some semblance of reasonable doubt that this didn't happen. And he got crickets. And when he got crickets, he knew he had no choice but to do the right thing despite knowing, and he alludes to that here too, which is another important part of this whole thing, knowing that this is not in his self-interest. This is demonstratively not in his self-interest, which would be proven literally minutes after he gives the speech. But here to me is the key substantive elements of the Romney speech explaining why he voted to convict Donald Trump on the charge of abuse of power. The grave question the Constitution tasks senators to answer is whether the president committed an act so extreme and egregious that it rises to the level of a high crime and misdemeanor. Yes, he did. The president asked a foreign government to investigate his political rival. The president withheld vital military funds from that government to press it to do so. The president delayed funds for an American ally at war with Russian invaders. The president's purpose was personal and political. Accordingly, the president is guilty of an appalling abuse of public trust. What he did was not perfect. No, it was a flagrant assault on our electoral rights, our national security, and our fundamental values. Corrupting an election to keep oneself in office is perhaps the most abusive and destructive violation of one's oath of office that I can imagine. In the last several weeks, I've received numerous calls and texts. Many demanded in their words that I stand with the team. I can assure you that that thought has been very much on my mind. You see, I support a great deal of what the president has done. I voted with him 80% of the time. But my promise before God to apply impartial justice required that I put my personal feelings and political biases aside. Were I to ignore the evidence that has been presented and disregard what I believe my oath and the Constitution demands of me for the sake of a partisan end, it would, I fear, expose my character to history's rebuke and the censure of my own conscience. I'm aware that there are people in my party and in my state who will strenuously disapprove of my decision, and in some quarters I will be vehemently denounced. I'm sure to hear abuse from the president and his supporters. Does anyone seriously believe that I would consent to these consequences other than from an inescapable conviction that my oath before God demanded it of me? 
I sought to, hear, sought to hear testimony from John Bolton, not only because I believed he could add context to the charges, but also because I hoped that what he might say could raise reasonable doubt and thus remove from me the awful obligation to vote for impeachment. Now, any rational person who watches or listens to that knows that the entire concept that Mitt Romney is doing this out of some bizarre, contrived, hate-driven, agenda-filled motive to get the president. Because in Trump's words, you know, Romney can't go over that he lost the presidency and Trump won. And uh, and that, that this is all just a vendetta. I'm sorry. If you really believe that, I mean, you're just... It's just flat out ridiculous. There's just, just no possible way. And it's interesting that, in my impression, many in the conservative media who have been very conflicted about how to handle this, because after all, this is a guy, including Donald Trump, who were t- was telling their audience in 2012, this is the guy who should be president of the United States. And now, less than eight years later, we're t- saying, no, 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 uh, forget about that. He's the devil. He's, he's the devil. And so many of them have been conflicted as to how to handle that. Plus, they know deep down he's probably right. And they have not been playing the clips from his speech. They've, they've been alluding to his vote but they won't let you hear it because when you hear it, you you hear the logic, and you hear the sincerity, and you and it's very very obvious that he's not doing this out of a personal agenda. That it's the opposite, and of course, all the events that have occurred since then prove that Romney was right about what the reaction to his vote would be. And I told you in the last episode that nothing. Nothing makes people more angry at you than making them feel badly about themselves, feeling inferior to you, feeling jealous or envious of your character. And by the way, you know, I'm not someone who believes that Mitt Romney is is belongs on the Mount Rushmore of of character driven Americans. He is he's been a flip-flopper in his past, but he has a soul and he has a brain. And this was not that tough a call from a substantive standpoint. And so if anything, when you say, well, you can't call Mitt Romney a principled politician, okay. If that's the case, all that really does is degrade everybody else who didn't have the courage to vote guilty even further because you can't even hold the jockstrap of Mitt Romney, who is not historically Mr. Courage. But in this case, he's all that was left because he's the only guy who was not beholden to the cult. And the reason why he was not beholden to the cult is one... He's super rich. He's old enough not to care. His family's very religious. He's very religious. They gave him the pass to go ahead and do this. They know there are going to be repercussions. And just by the way, the fact that he mentions in his 
in his interview with Chris Wallace, which I urge you to check out, uh, you can Google that via Fox News, the only interview he did regarding this this vote. It was an outstanding interview. I'm sure heads exploded all over the country watching Fox News Channel with what was allowed to be said. Uh, but he, the, the idea that he's even worried about repercussions against his family is just insane. I mean, really? But but it's not insane. That's the problem. It's it's very legitimate that his family will definitely suffer consequences for many, many years to come if Trump, especially if he wins re-election, all because he did what he thought was right. And he was already vindicated with what those repercussions are going to be against him, facilitated by Trump and by his son, Don Jr., who immediately went on absurd uh, and insane attacks calling for him to be removed from the Republican Party, uh, uh, blaspheming him, uh, uh, demeaning him, even going after his religion, the president himself at the National Prayer Breakfast. The National Prayer Breakfast mocked Romney's religion. You cannot be serious! So let's review this. You have... A man who is amoral. Donald Trump is at best an amoral person who clearly does not have any belief in God at all. At all. There's zero chance that Donald Trump believes in God. Correct. And uh, his life has proven this. Married three times, among other things. Used to be very pro-choice until he realized that wasn't going to fly in a Republican primary, so he's He's pretending to be pro-life, and the evangelicals are somehow buying it. He, you know, he, he doesn't. He's, he, he has no idea about the Bible. Two Corinthians. Uh, I mean, all sorts of things are proof that he is not a religious person. I mean, it, it's obvious that he is not. And yet, at the national prayer breakfast, he has the gall to go after Mitt Romney and his religion, and then later in the same day, actually saying that Romney was using his religion. As a crutch, as a crutch to uh, explain away his decision to convict, which I guess was really motivated by what? A desire to destroy his political career and make the next few years of his life much, much, much worse than they would be otherwise? Come on. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, No, does any rational person not deeply in the cult really buy that? I certainly hope not, because you cannot argue rationally that uh, Mitt Romney was being insincere. And I don't believe you can argue rationally that what he did was illegitimate based upon the facts. Just because 52 U.S. senators did not have the courage to act independently as their oath demanded of them does not in any way, shape, or form diminish what Romney did. And, yeah, Romney got a lot of support. Uh, from elements of the left, but that's going to fade very quickly. He's going to be a very, as he said himself in the Chris Wallace interview, a very, very lonely man because Trump is going to have a, you want to talk about vendettas, Trump is going to have a real vendetta against Mitt Romney till the end of his time. Correct. And they, you know, one of the many things that happened during the impeachment trial, which was complete bullcrap, was when uh, Lisa Murkowski, senator from Alaska, 
got her her her, uh, her panties all in a wad. She clutched her pearls when Adam Schiff had the gall to cite a CBS report that Trump was telling people that anyone who voted against him on impeachment was going to have their head on a pike. Correct. Oh, no, that never happened. The president would never do such a thing. And it was outrageous for Adam Schiff to say so. Well, uh, the proof has been uh, in the last few days, in fact, even before that, but clearly in the last few days, that that whether the report was technically true or not, the essence of it was. Because Trump, the mob boss, is absolutely putting heads on pikes. And Mitt Romney's is right there, first in line. Not just at the prayer breakfast, not just on Twitter, uh, but in this also this therapy session that he held, uh, this uh, temper tantrum, victory celebration at the White House, which, you know what it really was? It, I've often referred to Trump as Donnie Soprano, the mob boss. You know, Tony Soprano from the HBO uh, series, he's Donnie Soprano. And he's got a lot of similarities to Tony Soprano. But what I saw in that celebration at the White House was exactly, exactly the, the type of event that a mob boss might hold after having paid off a jury to get away with whatever crime. And, he, and he's there on national television. All the networks carried it, thanking all of his cronies for helping buy off the jury. That's essentially what happened. He was a mob boss there, going after his enemies, promising retribution, and rewarding those who were loyal to him, which is way worse than being just a king. You know, you could have a benevolent monarch in theory. In theory, in theory, even though I'm very anti-monarchy, I'm very anti-king, in theory, a benevolent king is maybe the most efficient form of government. The problem is you can't guarantee you're going to get a benevolent, wise king. But be, being a mob boss president is even worse than being a king. And that's what Trump is, and that's what we saw. America saw firsthand a mob boss celebration of getting away with constitutional murder. And it was bizarre. It was over an hour long. It was off the rails. Correct. It was nonsensical. Correct. Uh, and at times, uh, it, it appeared to be insane. Uh, I mean, what, there's so many different elements of this that I could point out, but one that hit me as a, a sports fan, I found it absolutely hilarious that for at least two or three minutes, I mean, imagine this. The President of the United States, on national television, on every network, spent at least two minutes talking about Bobby Richardson. Bobby Richardson was a second baseman for the New York Yankees in the 1950s and the 1960s. Not even that famous a baseball player. But he was, he was going off on some diatribe because he was comparing Steve Scalise and his play at second base on the Republican baseball team to that of Bobby Richards. I mean, and this is not even in the top 25 most bizarre events. I just found it hilarious that, uh, you know, <laughs> Bobby Richardson is the subject of, of these rants. 
But it was also way more dangerous than that. Uh, This was a a man who clearly, as Susan Collins had promised us, had not learned his lesson. Correct. And I don't know how Susan Collins survives this. I really don't. Uh, I mean, having Mitt Romney, who is still well-regarded in some circles in the Northeast, former governor of Massachusetts, she's a senator from Maine, who's you know running for re-election and she's already got the Kavanaugh vote that's going to bother a lot of people even though I was in favor of her Kavanaugh vote and and now she not only votes to acquit Trump but then she goes on national television and claims he's he's learned his lesson and then it's almost like Trump is trying to prove her wrong I mean Trump could not have gone farther in trying to prove her wrong correct and so I, I will be amazed. I don't even know who the heck she's running against, but I, I don't. I would be amazed if Susan Collins is able uh, to maintain her seat in the U.S. Senate after what has happened in these last couple of days, especially. Uh, it's 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 as if Trump is trying to prove those who defended him wrong, and uh, and and he's doing a hell of a job of it. And I do believe, and I'm someone who is on record saying almost nothing ever hurts Donald Trump. In fact, the more crazy he is, uh, the more often his his supporters will defend him. They love it. They love the entertainment aspect of it. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? But even I believe that he has gone too far here, that he has spiked the football too much that there are going to be some people, not many, unfortunately, but some people who will be offended by this. I do believe that this is going to hurt him. I I will, even as pessimistic as I am, I believe he's going to lose a point or two, not much, in approval because of his behavior in in light of uh, this acquittal. And maybe the moment that most symbolized how little he gets it and how unchastened he is, and in fact, how emboldened he is. I, I, I mentioned jokingly in the last uh, episode uh, that my favorite part of the State of the Union address was when he apologized to the nation for what he had done, and he promised never to do it again, which, of course, never happened. Never happened because Donald Trump is not capable of that. Correct. Uh, but that's what should have happened. That's the minimum of what should have happened. Even Bill Clinton did that. Even Bill Clinton, who I despised. I mean, I thought there would never be anything worse than when Bill Clinton was acquitted in his impeachment trial uh, in much the same way back in 1999. But at least Clinton pretended to be chastened. He at least apologized publicly. That's not in Trump's vocabulary. Except, and this is the exception that proves the rule, this is the classic Donald Trump apology. This is at the White House temper tantrum therapy session mob boss celebration he did apologize (laughs) and this is what that sounded like i want to apologize to my family for having them have to go through a phony rotten deal by some very evil and sick people (laughs) i'm sorry that's almost funny (laughs) I mean, it's almost a Saturday Night Live parody where Trump, he's he's actually getting a little emotional there. 
He's got a little bit of anger and and voice quivering a little bit, a little bit of emotion there, almost human, almost human there with the first part where I want to apologize, but then the apology is to his family for having to adore this bullshit. And by the way, he actually used the word bullshit in the White House, from the White House on national television. This is while his own people are still whining and moaning about Nancy Pelosi ripping up his State of the Union address at the end of the State of the Union. Really? So wait a minute. So so she's classless and breaking all the standards and norms of decorum, and there's silence on him saying the word bullshit in the White House on national TV. You cannot be serious! I mean, but that's the insane level of hypocrisy of his defenders. It's like they're living uh, in in an alternative universe. It's Alice in Wonderland. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Look, I didn't think that what Nancy Pelosi did was a great idea. But in comparison to what Trump does, I'm sorry. Not close. And when if you're going to change the rules, you got to play by those rules. Unless, of course, you're a, a special snowflake, which is what many of the Trump supporters actually are. I mean, how they're going to be, maybe they're going to be able to pull this off, but how they're going to be able to maintain this incredible hypocrisy of Trump can do no wrong, uh, but the old rules still stand for other people is beyond me. I mean, it appears as if they're going to try. They're going to try to claim that the old rules still stand, but that Trump doesn't have to play by those rules. And, And that's where we are. And that's not a, that first of all, it's not healthy. It doesn't make any sense, but that's an indication we've got a king here, a a, a mad king. And the monarchy element of this took another turn on Friday when Trump continued his retribution tour with a Friday night massacre, a Friday night massacre that include the firing of, from the NSC, of Lieutenant Colonel Vidman. You may recall Colonel Vidman was one of the most dramatic uh, te- uh, uh, testifiers against Donald Trump in the House impeachment inquiry. He's a Russian immigrant who is a Purple Heart recipient, recipient uh, a decorated war veteran from the U.S. Army. I said, as I said, Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, he came across to me as very credible, very sincere, but he was physically removed from the White House. And his position at the NSC on Friday, as was his twin brother, who's a lawyer for the NSC. That's the kind of stuff you do in a dictatorship. That's what you do when you're a mob boss. Correct. Because you're trying to send a message to anybody who might cross you in the future. Do this and you will die. Correct. That's the head on a pike situation that Lucent Murkowski got so offended by. He's going to stick heads on pikes as publicly as possible in the most humiliating fashion possible because he's a mob boss, and that's how a mob boss maintains control, through fear and intimidation and using his power while he has it to make sure no one goes after him. And if someone does go after him like Mitt Romney, they must be destroyed. Correct. Even Joe Manchin, this is, a, I mean, as an aside, Joe Manchin, the Democrat who voted to convict him from West Virginia, who's been a friend of Trump's, who has helped Trump, has voted at times with Trump, 
he's completely turned on Joe Manchin. He actually even referred to Joe Manchin today on Twitter as Joe Munchkin. Joe Munchkin. It's just flat out ridiculous. Joe Munchkin from a guy who clearly uses orange makeup, much like he's a, a Munchkin from the Wizard of Oz, is is now changing Joe Munchkin's name, Manchin's name, to Munchkin. You, you can't make this stuff up. And, of course, his crowd loves it. His cult loves it. I love the poorly educated. But good luck getting Joe Manchin to help you in the future. He was a critical vote. And Trump's fragile ego has now jeopardized that critical vote in the future because all he cares about is himself. He doesn't care about the cause. He doesn't care about the Republican Party. He only cares about him and his incredibly fragile ego. But back to the Vindmans. So Lieutenant Colonel Vindman and his twin brother, they get removed from the NSC, making part of Vindman's testimony at the House impeachment inquiry incredibly ironic and very sad because this issue came up This issue came up of retribution against people who dared to testify against Donald Trump. And Vindman actually referenced a letter he sent to his father saying that they had made the right decision to move to the United States from Russia because he was confident that he would be okay. That in America, we don't punish people for telling the truth about those in power. And in retrospect, this is incredibly sad. In Russia, my act of expressing concern to the chain of command in an official and private channel would have severe personal and professional repercussions and offering public testimony involving the president would surely cost me my life. I'm grateful to my father's, for my father's brave act of hope 40 years ago and for the privilege of being an American citizen and public servant where I can live free and free of fear for mine and my family's safety. Dad, I'm sitting here today in the U.S. Capitol talking to our elected professionals, talking to our elected professionals is proof that you made the right decision 40 years ago to leave the Soviet Union and come here to the United States of America in search of a better life for our family. Do not worry. I will be fine for telling the truth. Wow. I mean, and of course, there's, there's, it's always Russia, right? It's always Russia. I mean, Trump wants to make us more like Russia. He wants to be Putin. And uh, now, let's be clear, Vindman hasn't been killed. He hasn't been imprisoned. Uh, but this isn't going to go away for him. You know, Romney's got to worry about his family and his own uh, safety now. I'm guarantee you Vindman has to do the same thing because Trump's followers are fucking nuts. Not to mention he's a young guy and his career has now been uh, disabled uh, probably permanently, certainly by any uh, Republican administration. I I have no idea where he'll go from now, but he has clearly suffered. His twin brother nonsensically has suffered. And it wasn't just the two of them. Gordon Sondland, who I really don't have a whole lot of sympathy for because he paid a million dollars to Trump's inaugural committee to buy an ambassadorship. He was named ambassador to the EU. Uh, He was fired as well. 
apparently after begging to delay it and having people close to Trump uh, to urging him not to do so, including Republicans in in Congress and the Senate uh, telling Trump not to do so. But Trump just couldn't resist because here's a guy who was a, a Trump sycophant, uh, but who had the audacity to testify to what was the truth. And frankly, I thought his testimony was as positive towards Trump as it possibly could have been. He, he went out of his way to try, in fact, the Trump people even used his testimony at times to defend themselves when they used his reference to the fact that Trump had told him that there was no quid pro quo, as if that was, aha, see, Trump said there was no quid pro quo. Of course, if you understand the timing and the timeline and human nature, that actually proved that there was a quid pro quo, but that's way beyond uh, the capacity of most uh, major Trump cult supporters. Believe me. Yeah, you know, that's just the way it works. I love the poorly educated. I mean, so, uh, so he also gets rid of Sondland. So three people on, in his Friday Night Massacre related to the testimony against him. And there's a you know, major outrage on Twitter for a couple hours, and then it's forgotten. And Trump knows this. Trump knows it will it'll be always quickly forgotten. And, uh, and everyone will move on. Because now we are so desensitized. And this has always been my, my greatest fear uh, from a cultural standpoint as to why we were not going to be able to combat Trump. And I said this from, I think, just the very first moments of his presidency, even from that back crap crazy inaugural address. The desensitization to insanity was going to be a enormous weapon for Donald Trump because when the public is desensitized and we do not react and we become immune to to things that normally would have caused enormous outrage he wins he wins in that situation correct and he also wins by creating so many reasons for outrage that none of them stick none of them make a mark because we have to move on to the next one so damn fast. Correct. And by the way, I think part of this is by design. This is all partially by design. Trump has figured out that if you do so many things wrong and and you di- and you discredit the media that's telling the public that you're doing so many things wrong, you will get away with them because we live in such a fragmented society that no one is paying full attention. I mean, when I say no one, the, the average voter is not paying full attention. The people who are paying full attention are a very small percentage of the overall population. And so people like me who are news junkies are going bananas over all this, but the average person has no idea. It doesn't break through their bubble. They're more worried about their own lives or what's happening in entertainment or in sports. They're not political junkies. And he's counting on that. And the media has lost their power, partially because of their own mistakes and their own loss of credibility and cheering for Barack Obama for eight straight years, but also because their audience sizes have shrunk dramatically because there's so many more choices on television, on the Internet. And you know, so it's like this perfect storm situation for Trump to get away with this stuff. And my God... Can you imagine if he gets a second term? He's doing this. He's doing this in the middle of a re-election campaign. Can you imagine what he will be like if he never has to worry about re-election again? 
and he will not give a damn about the 2022 midterms, I can tell you that. He'll have four years as a king with absolutely no fear of accountability. You won't even really be able to impeach him because we've just proven that impeachment is meaningless. I, I mean, so the stakes for this election have just increased dramatically in the last week or so. And uh, as have, by the way, his chances for reelection, which is just uh, incredibly mind-blowing and depressing. I do want to mention, and this certainly relates to the whole mob boss element of Trump uh, that, and, and what a cult the Republican Party has become. We interviewed on this podcast, I believe twice, Joe Walsh, former radio talk show host, who decided to run as a Republican against Trump for the nomination. Now, if you recall the second interview that we did with Joe, I uh, I urged him to reconsider his strategy of putting everything into Iowa, hoping to get 15%, shock the world, and somehow that was going to get uh, the media and the Republican Party to take a challenge to Trump seriously. I told him directly this was a mistake, not that there ever really was a path to doing this, but that Iowa was a terrible place to make your stand because of the nature of an Iowa caucus. In an Iowa caucus, you have to stand up in front of your neighbors and your friends, and you have to declare your preference. That is very difficult for anyone to do under the best of circumstances. But especially when your vote is unpopular, and especially when 90-some percent of the people at that caucus are not just going to be Trump supporters. They're going to be rabid Trump cult members who are going to give you a hard time. And no one is going to stand up against them. No one is going to find it, you know, to do the Mitt Romney thing. (laughs) Nobody is going to uh, ruin their reputation with their friends and neighbors and spend a couple of hours standing up for Joe Walsh against Donald Trump when they know he has no chance of winning. That was not going to happen. And sure enough, it didn't happen. He won 1% of the vote. Bill Weld also won 1% of the vote. Trump won 98% of the vote in the Iowa caucus, which I'm sure made him very, he even referenced, he actually referenced this at his White House therapy session. The first time he ever even really referenced a a Republican challenger uh, publicly, at least uh, that I have seen. And he did so because he was so proud of the fact that he got 98% of the vote or 97 point something percent of the vote because it made him feel like a, you know, North Korean dictator or like Vladimir Putin. You know, that he was very proud of that. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. He wants the Republican Party to be nothing but a cult of Donald Trump. I love the poorly educated. And it's become that. And Joe Walsh decided to drop out on Friday before even this coming Tuesday's New Hampshire primary. We, I'm assuming we'll talk to Joe at some point soon uh, for his exit interview about uh, how that campaign went, what he learned. He, he says that it was more of a cult than he even realized, based upon my extensive conversations with him and having met with him uh, after he announced, I'm not sure that he really got surprised by that. At least he shouldn't have been, because I was certainly telling him that this was this is a cult, and that uh, you're you're really run you're going to bang your head against a very 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 
a large wall, far larger than any walls Donald Trump is building on the Mexican border, that's for sure. But I look forward to speaking to Joe uh, at an episode in the future as soon as possible. Now, in a moment, we'll have some uh, thoughts on this episode regarding the Democratic debate that happened on Friday, a very critical debate, and the upcoming incredibly important New Hampshire primary. But first, here's an important interview I did with Tom Bauer, the founder of our sponsor, Imbue CBD. Tom, thanks so much for joining us and for your sponsorship of the program. Please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Imbue Botanicals. Sure, John. Imbue Botanicals produces really the most extensive line of premium clinical-grade full-spectrum CBD products, including tinctures, capsules, topical lotions and salves, and even award-winning beauty products. They're available in multiple strengths for both people as well as pets. Our premium Colorado-grown hemp products are non-GMO, cruelty-free, and even vegan. Now, a lot of people might not be that familiar yet with CBD. It's getting a lot of publicity. But for those who aren't, what is CBD and why do you guys think it's so important? CBD is short for cannabidiol. It's one of the 115 or so cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. It's generally accepted as the cannabinoid or the element, basically, that provides the health benefits for cannabis. But science has shown really that CBD works best when combined with all the other cannabinoids and the natural terpenes that are found naturally in the plant, which is why our products are full spectrum, meaning they offer a full cadre of all the cannabinoids and terpenes for maximum effectiveness. Now, Tom, you mentioned that Imbue uses hemp. Tell our audience, if you will, the difference between hemp and marijuana, and why your product is not the latter. Great, John. It's really important to understand this. You know, we're all familiar with medical marijuana. Our products are, are not made from marijuana. They're actually made from hemp. Basically, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis sativa plant. The difference is that hemp contains extremely low levels of THC, which is the cannabinoid that makes you high when you ingest or smoke marijuana. By law, hemp must contain 0.3% or less of THC by dry weight. So, so low, basically, that you can't get high from the product. So, in essence, basically, with hemp, you get all the health benefits of medical marijuana without the high or the psychoactive effect of THC. I should also add here that Congress last year passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which essentially legalized hemp federally and descheduled all the non-THC cannabinoids. So, Essentially, it's, it's, uh, it's legal, which obviously people want to know. You know, can, can I buy it? Can I use it? It's legal. Now, when, when I use it, it's really helped my sleeping. I've only just started using uh, some of your products. But tell us, uh, what are some of the benefits that our listeners might find if they, if they use Imbue Botanical products? Really great question, John. We're actually not allowed to make claims about CBD or products per the FDA. Just an aside, if your listeners come across sites out there that are making health claims, we should always just avoid them. Just you don't want to deal with, with folks like that. It's, it's not legal to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't health benefits to CBD. We at MU Botanicals always encourage our customers to do their own research. There is a ton of information and studies available on the Internet. You want to talk to your physician, your independent pharmacist, even your veterinarian. You know, become informed. We've seen some absolutely amazing things personally and with our customers. Obviously, you know, the onus, if you will, is on each individual to to go out there and, and do the kind of research to see if it may be a fit for the kind of things that they're experiencing. Also, you know, check out our website, which has a ton of additional information as well. And that website is? It's www.imbuecbd.com. That's www.imbuecbd.com. 
imbuecbd.com. Now, you mentioned the FDA, and just before we taped this interview, there was a, a news story where the FDA put out a warning and sent letters to, I think, 15 different CBD companies. Yours was not one of them. It was perceived as the FDA basically, I don't know, seemed to be like backing away a little bit from CBD. What was your interpretation of what the FDA did and and how should our listeners interpret it? That's an extremely good question as well, John. And I think first and foremost is what the FDA is doing, especially when they're sending out letters to companies that they send letters out to, is doing their job. Their job is to really protect the American public from, you know, a basically, you know, drugs that shouldn't be there, that are doing what they're supposed to do, that can cause harm, and also making sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to do. In, in the case of these letters, these companies were making health claims simply because of how FDA operates and, and the way that, uh, you know, CBD, which is basically a kind of a, a brand new uh, thing for FDA, they're not allowed to make. You know, I'm glad that they're doing that. You know, we never make claims uh, at Imbue Botanicals. That's something that, that is, again, is, is goes back to the customer to do a lot of their own research on. They also came out with some basic overviews and essentially said you should really know what you're doing before you take CBD. It's not necessarily something you should be taking in water and in food products. You should basically get the kind of information that you need and talk to your healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your, your veterinarian, to make sure that there's a medical professional, you know, kind of assisting in the process. Now, in my experience, having used the product and seen the packaging and everything, you guys are totally first class, but first class comes with some expense. You guys are a little bit more expensive than your competitors. Tell us, tell us why you bring more value. We are more expensive than some folks, and certainly not more expensive than others, but uh, but we're, we are a higher-priced product, and the reason for that is, is where we grow, how we extract, how we formulate our products, we do that for maximum effectiveness. And, you know, what our folks tell us, and whether they're the pharmacies that we sell to or the customers that use our product or patients who use our product every day, they tell us that the product works and works better than things that uh, other products that they bought. It's more expensive to do it correctly, but ultimately that's obviously what customers want. If you're going to spend the money, They want something that works, and that's what our products do. So, Tom, if our listeners want to buy your products or learn more about them, where should they go? Go to our website. It's www.imbuecbd. That's www.imbuecbd.com, imbuecbd.com. Tom, thanks so much for your time and your sponsorship. John, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. Now, since the beginning of this podcast, I have been promoting as strongly as I can as a often lone voice in the wilderness among conservatives who are vehemently against the second term for Donald Trump, that the safest way for Democrats to ensure that Donald Trump would not be reelected would be to nominate Joe Biden, former vice president of the United States for eight years under Barack Obama, as the Democratic nominee. And I have uh, promoted that idea on very sound logic, but it was based on an important premise. And I think I've made this clear, but if I have not, I want to do so now. The premise of that was that Biden needed to get through the Democratic primaries and win the nomination without a bloodbath, and specifically without the crazy people who are just like the Trump cultists who support Bernie Sanders from believing that they have been had the nomination stolen from them for the second time in four years. 
but most importantly, that he not be so soiled, so damaged, so handicapped that the reasons why he was clobbering Donald Trump in head-to-head matchups a year ago would be diminished or will have faded away, thus not making him capable of defeating Donald Trump because, one, his personal approval ratings would go down, and, two, he would not have a unified party behind him. That was the premise, and I have always been very concerned that there was a very good chance that wasn't going to happen, that either Biden wasn't going to win the nomination or that he would win the nomination in a way that really wasn't conducive to winning. So the Biden theory has always been based on a maybe delusionally optimistic view that Democrats were going to understand this. And I have been very, very concerned for a long time that that wasn't going to happen, partially because the liberal media, you know, the MSNBCs, the CNNs, the, the liberal internet, the the liberal newspapers, they have no incentive to promote Joe Biden's candidacy. None. Zero. And this is going to be an emerging problem we're going to see after Tuesday's New Hampshire primary, which I believe is going to be uh, 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 maybe the best thing that Donald Trump could ever hope for. And the reason why the media has no incentive is because there is no Biden cult. There is a Sanders cult. There's an emerging Buttigieg cult. And no one wants to criticize either of them because you'll offend their audiences. You'll especially offend the Bernie bros. And if you, my God, if you ever mention that Buttigieg is married to a man, ah, oh my God, no, you're, yo, you're homophobic. No, you're just, you're just mentioning an important uh, point that uh, I can trust. I, you can trust me. Donald Trump and his campaign is going to have absolutely no problem pointing out on an hourly basis. Correct. <laughs> So good luck. Good luck with that. You want to send him in the Roman Coliseum against the Lions naked. Good luck, because that's what's going to happen if you put a 38-year-old, inexperienced, unemployed, uh, former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who's married to a man against Donald Trump. Good luck. Good edge edge. Right. Good edge edge. There you go. I mean, and, and a funny name. And by the way, not just a funny name, a very unfortunate funny name, given who he is. And I like the guy. I like Pete Buttigieg. I I think he's a good guy. I I think he might even be a decent president. But how the hell is he going to beat Donald Trump? I I mean, the, the Trump people have to be laughing more so than about Sanders as the possible nominee. But anyway, back to Biden real quick. So the premise has always been, can Joe get through this uh, war without being so bloodied that he can't beat Trump even if he somehow survives? And barring a miracle, barring a miracle in uh, New Hampshire, I no longer believe that Biden can do that. Well, oh, God. And the reason is this. The presumption for how Biden was going to get a path to the nomination was he finishes second or third, but it's a pretty strong second or third in in Iowa. He does the same in New Hampshire because, after all, New Hampshire has two favorite sons right in the the backyard there, Uh, Bernie Sanders from Vermont and uh, Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts. And and by the way, how the hell is Elizabeth Warren going to get away with a third-place finish or, or thereabouts in New Hampshire? If Mitt Romney from Massachusetts had not won the 2008 
Republican New Hampshire primary, he would have been declared dead on arrival. It would have been over for him. But somehow, because the media loves Elizabeth Warren, she's going to probably get away with a week might be worse than this, but I'm predicting third place finish in New Hampshire. How, how she's doing that, I don't know. But the, the premise here was always Biden is in that lead pack. It's all close. It's all jumbled. There's nothing really horrible about his performances. Yeah, he's not winning, but it doesn't really matter delegate-wise early on. And then you get to Nevada or South Carolina, where now you have some black votes, where, where he's supposed to be very popular because of his ties to Obama. And then everything changes. Everything turns around. He starts winning, and name recognition kicks in, and and he'll end up being the nominee. That was the theory. The problem is the second and thirds are turning into fourths and fifths, and there's a huge difference psychologically. Just think about this. I mean, yeah, you know, they give Olympic medals for first, second, and third, right? You don't get crap for four. So, so, so in the mindset uh, of most people, there's a huge difference between third and fourth place in, in, a, in a crowded field. There's no, there's no dishonor in third, especially if it's a strong third. But fourth or fifth, you're out of the money. Same thing in horse racing. They pay first, second, and third. They don't pay usually for fourth. And so uh, fourth and fifth is a totally different deal. And while I'm, you know, at this point there's no choice, I'm, I'm willing to at least give Joe a chance to pull off a miracle in, North, in, in, in New Hampshire because there have been miracles that have been pulled off in New Hampshire before, but I'm not anticipating it. I'm not anticipating it at all. And so the analogy I would use is this. Um, this is the seventh game of the World Series. And uh, rational people who really want to beat Trump have, uh, have been choosing – Joe Biden as the starting pitcher. He's experienced, he's reliable, and this is obviously a must-win game. And when we put him out there on the mound, we're expecting he's going to be throwing, you know, you know, we're not expecting 95 mile an hour fastballs. You know, we're realistic. But we're expecting something that's in the range that can get the job done. You know, 87, 88 miles an hour. That's what we're expecting. And then Biden gets out on the mound, and in the first inning, he's throwing 75-76. Well, in a normal regular season game, you might go, okay, well, maybe he'll turn it around. Maybe he'll figure out what's going wrong. In the seventh game of the World Series, in the first inning, you say, get him the fuck out of here because he's not going to get the job done. He's going to get clocked. And so even though I have been Biden's biggest supporter, if he finishes – fifth in New Hampshire, which I think is quite possible, he's got to get out because he's now a detriment to finding somebody who can beat Donald Trump. And I think we found that person based upon Friday's debate, which was outstanding for Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar, senator from Minnesota, was absolutely fantastic. And to me, substantively, her best moment of the debate was when she went after Pete Buttigieg were mocking impeachment while he's now an unemployed former mayor of South Bend, Indiana. And she she not just went after Judge here, but she also told me a lot about how she views courage and principle. And she complimented Mitt Romney. And uh, this was, to me, a fantastic answer from Amy Klobuchar on uh, Friday during the Democratic New Hampshire debate. 
we had a moment the last few weeks, Mayor, and that moment was these impeachment hearings. And there was a lot of courage that you saw from only a few people. There was courage from Doug Jones, our friend of Alabama, who took that tough vote. There was courage. There was courage from Mitt Romney, who took a very, very difficult vote. There was courage, as I, I read today, about Lieutenant Colonel Vindeman being escorted out of the White House. What he took took courage. But what you said, Pete, as you were campaigning through Iowa, as three of us were jurors in that impeachment hearing, you said it was exhausting to watch and that you wanted to t turn the channel and watch cartoons. It is easy to go after Washington, because that's a popular thing to do. It is much harder, as I see Senator Shaheen in the front row, such a leader, it is much harder to lead, and much harder to take those difficult positions. Because I think this going after every single thing that people do, because it's popular to say, and makes you look like a cool newcomer, I just, I don't think that's what people want right now. We have a newcomer in the White House, and look where it got us. I think having some experience is a good thing. I thought that was outstanding. It was one of m several answers where Klobuchar knocked it out of the park, including in her closing. I don't know how much impact it's going to make because people don't tend to change their minds very quickly, but Buttigieg was getting a lot of momentum out of, of Iowa. New Hampshire tends to be a very volatile situation. I've always had pretty decent confidence in New Hampshire over the years, both on the Republican and Democratic side. They tend to correct the mistakes of Iowa. I, I don't know that they're going to do that here. Here's my prediction for what it's worth. I think Sanders is going to win New Hampshire. Uh, I think Buttigieg will finish a strong second. I think there's then going to be a gap between uh, Buttigieg and the th battle for third place. Uh, Elizabeth Warren will probably eke out third place, although I'm rooting hard for Klobuchar now because I think she's the, she's the last best hope to beat Donald Trump. And I do believe she would beat Donald Trump. I'll probably get into more of the electoral considerations in all this in, in our Wednesday podcast after Tuesday's New Hampshire uh, primary results hopefully will actually be known unless something crazy happens like with Iowa. But I believe Klobuchar will probably finish fourth, possibly third. Oh, that might be my heart uh, over uh, putting a veto over my head. But logically, it's going to be very close between Warren, Klobuchar, and Biden for third place. And based upon momentum, Biden is going to finish fifth. And if you finish fourth in Iowa and fifth in New Hampshire and you're 100 years old and you have no cult and no media backing and no money, that's the other thing, he has almost no money, it's really hard to conjure a scenario or a narrative where Joe makes a miraculous comeback, at least in a way that allows him to still beat Donald Trump. So uh, that's... The, the rather depressing way of looking at the New Hampshire primary because Sanders and Buttigieg, uh, barring Trump completely collapsing for some unforeseen reason, the economy or a war situation or something, are not going to beat him. And I don't believe Warren is either. Klobuchar, I do believe, would beat him. And I still believe Biden would beat him. But I just don't believe they're going to be the circumstances that would allow him to do that. And unfortunately, it's looking like the Ukrainian drug deal is working out way better in destroying Joe Biden and preventing him from being a formidable foe in the general election against Donald Trump than Trump and Rudy Giuliani could ever have possibly uh, dreamed of. Correct. And so, unfortunately, I, now I'm a guy who just tells the truth. I don't, I don't have any emotional investment really in it, or at least I try to remove any emotional investment, and that's where I currently see things. So 
Joe Biden's a good man, but barring a miracle in New Hampshire, he's got to consider getting out because he's blocking other people who might beat Donald Trump, including Amy Klobuchar, maybe even Mike Bloomberg. Well, oh, God. All right. So um, we're going to finish uh, this podcast with an updated percentage on Trump's reelection chances. I'm going to change it slightly from 67 percent to 65 percent, only because he is so self-destructive, Trump is, that it's possible he could end up blowing this out of uh, pure mob boss retribution, but uh, that's a small possibility at this point. That's why I'm putting it at 65%. That'll do it for this edition of the podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at IndividualOnePod. That's at IndividualTheNumberOnePod. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.